Hey everybody, just wanted to warn you guys that there are plenty of spoilers for 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick, but you've had over 50 years to watch it, so I feel like we waited long enough. Point being, though, if you haven't seen it before, or if it's been a while and you need a refresher, it's available on HBO Max at time of recording, and you might want to watch it before continuing with this episode, because otherwise you may be left a little bit confused. That's all. Enjoy. Bye. It's better because of you and that's a fact We're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I Welcome back to You'll Understand When You're Younger. I'm Jordan. And I'm Brian. And we are a father and son who like scouring the corners of the internet and sharing the information that we find with each other. And that's what we're about to do. Uh, our intro song is by Ted Heineshevitz. It's called You and I. Thank you, Ted, for letting us use that. You can listen to Ted's music on Spotify or anywhere where you get your music. What's the weekly question, Pop? All right. Well, Jordy, uh, it, it, this is a question that might be near and dear to your heart. Uh, we'll see what word is fun to say or hear, or what word or words do you hate to say or hear? And I'm going to let you go first. Cause I know you have a list of words that you don't like. Uh, you know, I do have a list, but I never wrote it down. And so right. it's now more trigger based. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. But the one that comes to mind that bothers me the most is, popcorn shrimp the word (laughs) popcorn is fine and the word shrimp is fine and it's not because of the meaning of the word popcorn shrimp but i guess more specifically when i was younger i didn't like seafood i still really don't although the reason i didn't like it when i was younger and the reason that i don't like it now are different i didn't know about microplastics when i was that young but good thing you live on a seaboard yes Right. And good thing my mom loves seafood, right? This is the whole (laughs) point. So my mom loves seafood, even though we never really lived anywhere near water my entire life. And, uh, and so she would drag me to Red Lobster with her so that she could get shrimp and I would, she'd get the jumbo shrimp and I'd get the popcorn shrimp. And it got so that anytime we went somewhere with seafood, when I think when you're a kid, your parents just like guessing what you're going to order. Or maybe that was just the case with you and mom where you guys were like, oh, Jordan's going to get the chicken tenders. Oh, Jordan's going to get whenever we were at a seafood restaurant, <laughs> I would be looking at the menu and mom would go, so are you getting the popcorn shrimp? And then I would either have to say yes or no and then explain why I was getting what I was getting. And in fact, the whole act of people asking before you order what you're going to order really bothers me. So I'll tell, and maybe you've noticed this, or maybe you'll start noticing it now. But when you guys ask me now, I don't tell you. I just say, oh, I'm still looking. I think it's, I, I hate it. Like my, what I'm going to eat is going to influence what you're going to eat. So I just don't say it. But anyway, she would always <laughs> assume that I was going to get popcorn shrimp. So I could just hear in my head, all the time, aren't you going to get the popcorn shrimp? And sometimes if I wasn't getting the popcorn shrimp, she'd, you don't want popcorn shrimp? And now just the word popcorn shrimp makes my head 
explode. Like I'm cringing right now just thinking about it. Um, and then I don't really know if there's a word that I like. I like just finding uncommon words. It's pleasing to to hear them for the first time. Um, right. But I don't have thoughts on one that's like particularly fun. Like they say mellif- mellifluous is the most fun word to say or whatever. But I, I don't know. Do you have one? So, so I have, I, so it, it's funny that ours are kind of both uh, uh, tied to food. Because uh, once I tell you what my word is, you're going to probably chuckle a little bit. So the word that I like to say the most is bamboozled. Ah, you do like to say bamboozled a lot. And the bamboozler. The bamboozler. <laughs> I've been bamboozled. Yes. I, I think some of it is because you can say the word in so many different ways. It still means the same thing, but you can use so many intonations. Goofy, yeah, goofy intonations and voices like, you know, I've been bamboozled or bamboozled. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to, to be able to say that <laughs> word. I, I mean, right? It's a fun word. I mean, I don't know if it. You know, it's probably in no one else's top 10 list. It's my number okay, one. Okay, I, I thought of one that I like, but I'll let you finish. All right. <laughs> All right. So that is absolutely um, one of my favorite words to say. Yes, um, you do say bamboozled a lot. In an I, 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 try to, <laughs> I, prob- I try to find ways to, 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 to say it. To fit it, it so in. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's one of those things that uh, that is uh, that's that's good. So, um. And then if I think about words that I don't like, I think, I think the number one word uh, that most people don't like uh, is moist. People hate that word. Ugh, that yep, is a disgusting see, word. It, it just, it just, um, it just kind of, it, it, it just, it has a weird connotation to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But that's not my least favorite word. I, I, it's not my favorite word to say. And, and however, every time I have the opportunity to say it, I think about the audience and I'm in and can I say moist and be offensive or can I say moist and not be offensive? But people are like, why did you just say moist? So you know, it's it's one of those things where you have to you have steer to be kind clear. Of, yeah. yeah, steer clear of what you're at. So the word that I don't like, uh, it, it, and it's weird, and I'm not sure exactly why I don't like it, but I hear it all the time because, as you know, I watch a lot of documentaries and I watch a lot of documentaries about mountain climbing. So it's crevice. I do not like the word crevice <laughs> or as or crevasse, depending on on your thing. That that word just bothers me, and and I don't know why, but I I can't stand it. It it just has so many weird thought processes that goes through my head. Yeah. So so bamboozled or bamboozler, favorite crevice or crevasse, and least favorite words. Okay, Absolutely. so I don't know if I'd call it a favorite word, but one that always gets me hyped in the way that bamboozled gets you hyped <laughs> is dazzling or dazzles. Uh-oh. Oh, there you go. Because one time when we were not, in... Not bedazzled, right? I just want to be no. clear. Not like the bedazzler. No, but one time when we were in London, we were walking in their oh. theater district, and there yeah. was... they Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I guess, had just like come into town or whatever. Yes. And there were... Yep. I kid you not, you were there, so you would know. I what, was. 25, 30 posters for Charlie and Chocolate I don't know Factory? If that's enough. It was probably more. All in a row with one review on them that said, Dazzling Charlie, chock full of delight. That was the quote, <laughs> the pull quote that they had taken from the article. And it was like the most British uh, critic review pull quote that I'd ever seen. Dazzling Charlie, chock full of delight. And we were saying Dazzling oh. Charlie and 
like so every time I see the word dazzles or dazzling, it reminds me of that specific moment. But the yep. funny thing is I'm always paying attention to when I see the word because it evokes that memory. Sure. And it's almost always used by reviewers. I've never heard anybody describe things as dazzling that weren't a review of a show or movie dazzling I, images I you're right dazzling performance dazzles dazzles yeah. it's just one of those words like you know how like the the word voracious means you do a lot of something you devour it you're voracious yes. but people always use it to describe reading i'm a voracious yes. reader right it's just yeah. words that get pinned together even though they don't really have a connection dazzling right and art performances go together <laughs> the way that voracious and reading go together. So I really like that word dazzling, but I don't really personally use it. So I'm not sure if it qualifies as a favorite word in that sense. Well, you might need to write a few more the theatrical reviews or art reviews. Yeah, I absolutely might have to. Good, good question, Pop. So for this feature story... I asked, I tasked you with a mission. Instead of me having to do all the work, I made you do half of the work, and I also did half of the work. And Fair that enough. is, we both had to commit a little over two hours of our lives to watching one of the most dazzling images <laughs> ever created. I was bamboozled by it. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick, which I had not yet seen despite... Uh, having watched many old movies with and without you growing up. And I'm not sure what made me watch it on the particular, this particular occasion, but I had heard about it many times referenced in popular culture and specifically yep. by filmmakers as th the most influential work that they saw. So like the sure. big hit makers of the of the 70s and 80s often referenced Stanley Kubrick Kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey as inspiring them and specifically people who were within the sci-fi space and obviously Kubrick is a household name as directors go but I really haven't seen much of his work because I think he was right in between big eras of movie making and kind of stood all alone but then he got replaced by the lucases and the spielbergs and coppola right. and you know yep so so i i think you've probably seen at least one of his movies because you've seen the shining right yes i have seen that okay I, so that's for some reason in my head i didn't connect that with him most people don't. Most people don't connect The Shining with him because that's Jack Nicholson, and you don't always think of the director at that point. Right. I even think of, um, what's his name? The guy who wrote it. Stephen King. Yes. Yep. I think of Stephen King, even though I know he would have had nothing to do with the actual filming of it. Right, but, yeah. right. Yeah, so so that one you've seen, and um, I know that probably on your list, and I've told you it's it's kind of crazy, uh, but A Clockwork Orange, he's done, that's very famous. It is on my list. I almost saw that in Raleigh because uh, they have an Alamo draft house there, and they sometimes oh, sure. re-show old films, but I couldn't get sure. tickets for the day that it was showing. So it's on HBO. I'll probably watch that soon. It, it is. We will not be reviewing it. <laughs> I actually have seen that. Uh, I don't probably maybe two or three times. Yeah. Um, but it's been a very, very long time and I just don't feel the need to watch it. 
Um, and then the, another one that I think is on your list from from me telling you, but I don't know that you've had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. That is on my list, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, so that one is one that um, that in, in today's world that that would be an interesting one to rewatch, just based on kind of uh, what transpired in that film and and kind of what's happened in the years since it. Sure. Um, and and then another one that's famous. And we'll get to 2001 here in a second, but another one that's famous that probably isn't on your list because it's been kind of um, uh, people kind of you know didn't really like it was Eyes Wide Shut. That was like one of his one of his last ones, if not his last one, that had Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman when they were married. I've heard of um, that, but I haven't yeah, seen it, it, and it's not on my list. Yeah, it's it. It was mediocre. I mean, I I couldn't do what he did, but. <laughs> But in my mind, it was a mediocre film. So. For, for reference to everybody, my list is an Apple Notes uh, page that I started a couple years back where I wrote down every movie that came into my head as a good movie that I had already seen. And then I put a line space in there and I started writing down every movie that people told me to see. And then after I watched the movie... I go through my list and see if it's on there and I move it from the not watched portion to the watched portion. It's very primitive, but (laughs) now whenever people ask me about good movies to watch or what movies I've seen, it's sometimes hard to think about it off the top of your head. It's much easier to refer to a list of movies that you've seen. So I'd recommend it to anybody. And it's actually helped me give out a lot better recommendations when I have like a group movie night and people are like, what, what should we watch? I quickly scan through the list of movies that I've already seen that I know are good that people will like. And I'm like, Oh, we should watch this. So, so on your list, do you have those ranked in, in some fashion? I mean, it'd be tough because nope. I know you have lots of movies on the list, but do you ever put a star next to one and say, okay, this is like the movie. I thought about it, uh, but I, I figured I wanted to keep it simple because there was there. So there was a, the initial point of the project, as you'll probably remember, Dad, was to specifically identify the greatest movies ever made. Right. And that was that was what I was trying to list on the top section. But then, you know, it was tough to ask people what they think a great movie is or what their favorite movie is because people have different tastes. So I just started taking everybody's recommendations. And then I didn't want to forget when I'd already seen a movie. So even if I didn't like it, I still moved it in to the list. And so it would make sense to add a star system. But even though it's a long list, I can go through. And when I actually look at the name of the movie, I remember exactly the feeling of like, for example, Maurice told me to watch Donnie Darko. He likes that oh, movie sure. a lot. He does. One of his favorites. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Sorry, Maurice. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's good in concept if I didn't have to Google what it all meant after because I don't like movies like that. But I don't need to put that on the list to remember that that's how I felt when I watched it. Uh, I, having it on the list is enough. So. so that may so that right there may have answered the question that I have at the top of my head is, g- give me a movie that someone recommended that you absolutely were in total opposite thoughts of of the movie, and I I I have one I think you would list uh, off there, but we'll see if 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 you can give me one or two I'll see if you hit the one that I'm thinking of. 
Uh, so beside Donnie Darko, which not only Maurice liked, but Joe DeLoya also liked and is sure. one of the most highly critically acclaimed movies of all time. Let me go through here. Try and find ones that I don't like. This could take a second, but I can cut no, it. No, it's okay. I, I, have, I have one off the top of my head that I'd be surprised if you don't bring it up just based on kind of our conversations. But if you don't, I'll obviously mention it, but I want to get Taxi Driver. Nope, that wasn't the one, but uh, that one is, that is, like you said, very critically acclaimed, you know, uh, De Niro and Jodie Foster when she's younger. I mean, people, there's, that's a acclaimed movie. Nope, the one I was thinking of, Jordan, uh, is a mob movie. One of, one of my favorite movies. Oh, uh, Goodfellas? Yes, that's yeah. the one I thought you might bring up. So everybody likes Goodfellas and. Rightfully uh, so. Uh, film fans like Taxi Driver. And I happen to not be a Scorsese fan. You might have right. drawn the link between yeah. those two movies, yep. everybody. Um, <laughs> I think that he likes being artsy by removing critical plot points or like trying to make something so abs this is not what he did goodfellas is di a different scenario because it's based yes. specifically off of a book yep and the problem that i let me start let me finish one thought okay scorsese <laughs> he took taxi driver which is a story about a mentally ill man uh who falls for this woman and then commits a bad act but the news makes him look like a hero right and so yep there's some commentary there that good and bad are uh, relative to how they're described or whatever. It's been a while since I watched it, but you can't get all of the plot development happens in that moment when he ends up shooting the guy. Everything else is just him driving around the city, stalking this girl. And it's not, it's there's, there's no rising action. There's no plot points whatsoever. He made it so abstract where you're supposed to be digging beneath the surface to understand the character motivations. And he's trying to take the girl on a date to the porno. And it's just, it, it doesn't, it's not a full story. It's, and I, I like day in the lifestyle movies like this latest Paul Thomas Anderson one, uh, licorice pizza. It's just a bunch of different scenes from about one kid's life from the seventies. And they're not really tied together. I thought it was well done. I understood what I was getting, but I don't think that's what Scorsese aims for, and that's what I end up getting is no plot and just a bunch of day in the life. Now, Goodfellas. So, well, we let let's say that one for a different podcast. Okay, all right. I, would, I definitely you want me to keep on track, right? Well, and I also just have to ask you one thing about Taxi Driver itself. So, despite the plot points not being you know cohesive or existing. What did you think about De Niro's performance? I mean, he is Travis Bickle. He, I mean, that's like a classic performance. And so I'm curious to see if you thought that he held up in there or just based on I, the, the plot. I thought he did good. I, I actually thought the whole thing was well cast. I, my only beef is with Scorsese. I, sure, sure. Like, it just, it doesn't hold up. And I'm... Uh, a huge Robert De Niro fan. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Deer Hunter. I love that. Right, and he's great. Um, great in that. Incredible performance. I like most things that he's in. Another one, he's in Heat. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. He's in Goodfellas. 
right and yeah, casino. So he's got some bad ones too uh <laughs> i didn't like casino either see we're just we're, tony we'll, loves we'll casino. Head back over to 2000 yes we'll go over well, he should it's, it's a good it's a very good movie we'll get to 2001 yeah Jeez. okay i i I think everybody's entitled to their own tastes. And just because mine are correct, I don't aim to be contrarian, okay? I just happen to have a few divisive opinions on what's good and what's bad, all right? But I, I hit the major ones that matter, right? The Godfather is is one of the greatest movies ever all right. made, all right? That's, can... that, that's why I can cut you some slack. All right, all right. Uh, but... 2001 a space odyssey this is an interestingly structured movie and i was concerned at the first 30 minutes that (laughs) it was going to be a movie that i didn't that was a scorsese style disjointed not make a lot of sense movie and then the middle i was like oh they recovered well and then the ending i was like well uh got got confusing again so 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 I do have to. I want to ask you about the thir- first thirty minutes real quick. Yes. So did you recognize that first thirty minutes from other pulp, uh, pulp, geez, pop culture re- references? You know, because that movie's been around obviously since nineteen sixty eight, and uh, it is reference things. But it, when you saw it, did you recognize the mu- the music number one? Did you recognize kind of the 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 way that it played out or is that something that was totally foreign? You really had never seen that stuff. I'm, I'm curious because when I was growing up, that was referenced all the time. And I just don't know now if it is so much. So the music, the score of that yeah. song is it, at the beginning when the planets are eclipsing each other or whatever is one of the most famous pieces of Absolutely. music from cinema of all time. Right. Yep. So I've certainly heard soundtrack. that played over many things um but other than that nothing really par- particularly stuck sure. out to me sure there's there's some famous parodies uh you know SNL did some skits they did they even did like Sesame Street did uh they did a, a the Sesame Street do parodies I don't know but if they no. did it, <laughs> it, it they did kind of a parody of 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 the of the apes at the beginning and finding various different things and the bone being thrown um, so there's a lot of pop culture references, references that, to that. Yeah, um, like I said, probably more so when I was growing up because it was obviously much closer to the time of the right. movie coming out. I, well, so. yeah, like I said, most of my interactions all came from people talking about the quality of the movie itself and how right, much it inspired right. them. And it it re- I'm not even being facetious here. It really is a dazzling picture, even with... <laughs> the you know asling stanley the painted graphics that they had to use for spaceships instead of the minis um really impressive animation and it didn't really bother me that it was two-dimensional because it was so detailed uh and i can see where george lucas would have been inspired in some of his space shots based off of kubrick's you know work and everything's kind of derivative of of that in a way uh, and the way that s- space travel is shown on screen i feel like um because so, that so, feels like the first major breakthrough attempt right. at it total cutting edge stuff on that on that front right because so star trek the tv show was out in 1966 yeah. and the way that they did special effects way different than the way that kubrick 
chose to do his stuff in 1968. His looked, like you said, even though it was two-dimensional, it was just so well done. That's the thing that struck me because I hadn't seen this movie for, I don't even know. I was probably close to your age the last time I saw it. So it's been a very long time. And it struck me how, how good it hold up, held up. Um, the one thing about the first 30 minutes that was somewhat distracting because it didn't, they didn't hold up as well were the apes. You could tell. Yeah. That they were, you could yeah. tell that they were humans, but it, it, I mean, it wasn't distracting enough. Like, Oh, this is horrible. Uh, right. I, mean, it's I was, I was willing to look past it. Yeah. Right. And there was no CG. And I honestly think right. that for, the, for there being no option at having CG, the apes were as good as could be done today. If we didn't have computer graphics, you know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. Like if Absolutely. we were just putting people in ape suits again today, recreating that movie, I don't think that the people would be doing any better. So the thing that's funny about that and the thing that you mentioned is that another movie that came out in 1968, Planet of the Apes. So now go look at the people in apes suits there and look at these apes. And in my mind, these apes look a lot more realistic than Planet of the Apes. And I know that the Planet of the Apes are supposed to be more humanoid, uh, but it, it I didn't think that that held up nearly as well as this did. Oh, yeah, those things don't look like apes. Yeah, you, you just looked them up? Yeah, I mean, so... Those are movies that somewhere down the line they should be on your list, not high on your list, but just because uh, they they classics, did. There's yeah. a lot of inspiration around them, uh, around some of those things, and there's a lot of social commentary on some of those, and I think that you would appreciate them. But th- those could be distracting if you're, if you're watching it. But uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the first thirty minutes, I agree with you. Um, you know, having seen it, I I remembered it there being an extended sequence i didn't remember it being 30 minutes in fact i was like wow this is a lot longer you thought it dragged on too long oh man uh you know the one thing i thought it was it was interesting was like the leopard attacking i thought that was cool and then the apes figuring out hey we could use a bone and uh and uh murder someone uh that in itself was like hey that's the evolution of man which is kind of right yeah exactly so i would say i mean we already i kind of identified it but the the movie clearly has three three acts right three chapters to it and what's interesting about that whole 30 minute first chapter is that it's only solely used to set up uh how impressive it is how far we've come right you know there's no other than just showing that that mystical black prism was around as early as the dawn of man so saying it's some kind of uh god placed thing or whatever right besides yeah or alien placed i mean if an alien can do that they're basically a god i would say um aside from that showing that whole evolution of the man is like look at how how long it took for them to learn how to kill their first meal and to learn how to make their first tool and that scene of the ape smashing the other bones with the bone is i mean that it it was like i was very engrossed because i was trying to figure out what the heck was going on having never (laughs) seen it before and not reading anything about it and then all of a sudden we enter Act Two, which I I thought was very fun all around. But I liked how it started off with a Pan Am space shuttle. Oh my gosh, I was dying. So yeah, I I think it 
it had the intended effect, even for me here, who sees space travel uh, as something that humans can do regularly, and that the world's richest man has a company that does exactly that, and the world's second richest man uh, also has a company that does exactly that, right? So (laughs) I... But I was still struck by like, wow, it is amazing how far we've come, even though we have not come as far as he predicted that we would by 2001. And I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So beforehand, one of the things you mentioned was the whole Pan Am thing. That The things that struck me as I was doing that was Pan Am, defunct company, but Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson's again, defunct, basically product placement and there's also a hilton that was in there i only well. noticed the howard johnson's and i was like oh my dad's gonna get a kick out of that when he watches yeah. it yep so those three are the ones that i, that I caught um I, I thought that was funny um and kind of the way that they did stuff with straws i thought was interesting um the the other thing that that to me uh before we get into what you're talking about was um uh the the space shots that he had and the special effects, if you will, they didn't really exist, like you said, but they were all painted. And, and the kind of stuff that he did to make this work and the shots that he did, I, I'm just blown away again. I mean, when when I watched it the first time, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was trying to be as in tune as I was this time. I just watched it because I was supposed to watch it, right? I, I was blown away. I was like, wow, this movie, the fact that it, it holds up it kind of yeah. it kicks butt yeah. i was really yeah. amazed and it just i that's why i think that first chapter was really useful because if he yeah. just started off with the spaceship been more star wars efm you know predating star wars of course but that'd be the idea you'd be like wow look at that spaceship that's cool but you wouldn't have the appreciation where he goes this this is us. This is who we were. This is and now we built this. Now he has some hits and he has some misses about right, yeah. things that we've been able to do and things that we haven't. And so yep. uh, I just wanted to point out the things that I noticed that he got correct and incorrect. And the yeah. the one thing is space travel is still not in the in the hands of private travel. Um, right. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that his view of how space travel will work is different from the way that it's being planned right now, where they have sort of almost an ISS with a couple hotels on it. Yes. Yep. And they launch people just from from Earth to that one ISS. And then that ISS is yep. a launch pad to get people out of earth orbit to other places which right makes a lot of sense uh but i'm wondering if that's such a large undertaking that that is why that's not being floated as an idea now and then good question one of them is a one of the things that he did was a moon base and that actually is something that uh, elon musk talks about a lot when he says that humans are going to mars in 2028 which listen to me now that won't happen but uh, <laughs> the uh, the w- escaping the Earth is c- costs the most fuel because we have the gravitational pull. Right. Yep. But then escaping Earth's orbit is its own kind of geometry and math, and so the idea is to escape Earth orbit with the rockets, land them on the moon, and refuel them there, uh, 
uh, instead of putting all the fuel on them on the earth so that they'll weigh less and it costs less and then they can escape Earth's orbit a little bit easier by launching from a specific time from the moon, which rotates around the Earth. Right. Um, and they have a moon base in this, but it's like for more geological reasons, it seems. Yes, exactly. They were doing, uh, well, and then, yeah, they definitely were doing the digging and then found the, the second Stargate yeah. um, on there. And then one, so, one other quirky but, thing that he got wrong was that you would still have to use a phone card in order to dial somebody. Yeah, yeah, but one thing yeah. he did predict. This is the part I was going to bring up. Was video calling. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Which is a thing that we do every single flipping day. Now, granted, we didn't have it in 2001, but it is a thing. It is. And that was absolutely that. I, I was trying to take some notes as I was watching the movie, and that was one of the things I, you know, I noted was you know a picture phone, and and the fact that um, it was video and, and you know it's basically Zoom Teams, uh, blue jeans, whatever the heck you want it to be. That's it is what it is. Uh, and, and he got it right. The thing that I also thought was funny was the conversation between the dad and the daughter was kind of stilted, and it was your stereotypical parent kid. Uh, thing oh hey it's your birthday happy birthday it was it was funny because i was like that's the way a lot of phone calls go when they you do. have a, a nine-year-old and stuff so i i thought that 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 was handled well because i don't think every director would have done that they i, I would have imagined a lot of directors having that could be super excited and the dad be super excited because it was her birthday all that kind of and stuff it, and it's but on video yeah right yeah he didn't play it that way it was uh you're right it was hauntingly realistic the whole video yeah. call thing aside from him having to put in a phone card yes. to to pay for the call because right. pay phones just they weren't they're not a thing anymore right and you Thank, would, thankfully yes and you would only like video call somebody from your own phone or from your own computer instead of having right. like if you went to the business room at a hotel, you wouldn't like use it to be Skyping somebody. You'd be using it right. to print something off a plane ticket right. or whatever. Right. So, but I just thought that was funny yep. how he did predict that. And it did yep. ha like, if that's the one thing that he got right in all of this, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, but pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That was cool. That was cool. And then, so plot wise then they take off and they uh, he heads to the moon where they've found this uh, stargate and um it's just this kind of quentin tarantino you know box with the golden glow where you don't really yep. know what it they it's never really stated what it is but it's meant right. meant to be very powerful and very convincing right yes um and I also thought it was interesting just the whole process of him showing like how the government would cover up a scandal yes. in a believable way. And so, so, so the thing that's funny about that and, and, uh, and I don't know if you know this theory or, or not. Um, but the thing that was ironic to me is that people who don't believe that we actually went to the moon, you know, there's there's plenty of people like that who don't believe we actually landed on the moon six times. Yes. Um, they think that Stanley Kubrick is the directed guy who directed the sound exactly. stage. Yes, we've heard, and, and, I've heard that. Right. So the well, the thing that's ironic to me about it is that in the show, he's 
it's a government conspiracy that, and they're not letting people go to the moon. So it kind of, you know, it is kind of, you entangled. can see how people started making that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, of course he's, he's involved with the government. He, he put it on film that, the, that he's in on with the government. Right. And so that, that was funny. Cause that probably is how a government, how our government does handle conspiracies. Um, but the other thing that I thought was interesting and to the point of uh, this whole soundstage kind of theory, because the moon landing happened one year after this movie came out. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Right. So it is weird for people to assume that Stanley Kubrick could have made something like that, that, that was as realistic as it was only a year later from this, which I would say the moonwalking was did not come across <laughs> as realistic I, at I all. I have notes on that as well. So, like, if you watch the the Neil Armstrong leaping across the moon, you can like, see that the gravitational force is one-sixth of that of Earth. So he can right. leap around at will. You yep. can't fake that just because you have a soundstage. You would right. need a lot of wires and a lot of complex rigging that Stanley Kubrick apparently couldn't afford for this movie <laughs> because they were just told to like tread lightly and slowly. Oh and it so does not come across like they're walking on the moon. It looks like they maybe have some kind of uh, zombie flesh eating brain cell eating virus that causes them all to walk in a weird ass way. But it does not look like they're walking on the moon. It made me think of them trying to try, poorly, but poorly try to sneak up on someone. That's kind of what. That's exactly like tell, what it was like. If you tell a little kid, okay, sneak up on them. They're going to take those exaggerated, slow yes. plodding steps. Mm -hmm. That's what I was like. Or oh a my cartoon gosh. character. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. It was very cartoonish, and yes. again, I have no recommendation for how to improve that, aside from having no. like a million wires connected yeah. to the people that you can somehow. A scrape out and post which i don't think he could have done very easily given the technology of the era no it's all film yeah right and so it just it that was tough but one thing that i did think was cool was that whole space age design was shown a lot in the costume department like their spacesuits right don't look like what our actual spacesuits look like, but they look like what everybody reminisces about, you know, that kind right. of like alien, very geometrical, like everything mm -hmm. with space has to have hard lines. Yes. And kind There's, of lo yeah. look like V shapes and ovals yep. and this and that and the other thing. Absolutely. Um, where the earth is a lot more rounded edges. Right. Uh, yep. And you see that a lot with like the, I have a, for example, a Sony like television from the 1960s, like a small, a little tiny portable television. Oh yeah, the bubble. Yeah, screen. and it's built like in a space age kind of way, and the costuming throughout all of this, but specifically in that scene when they're walking on the moon, was very space agey. Absolutely. Well, so the thing that was interesting to me also is that the, although the spacesuits don't look exactly like what you know, ours do now, or even what they looked like in 1969, they're a bit of a throwback to what they looked like in the Gemini program. Um, the Gemini ones were all silver and, and glossy, but they still were more, I'll, I'll call them form fitting than, mm -hmm. than, um, you know, the, the ones that we went to the moon with. 
And so you could see that he, in my mind, he was thinking, okay, here's what they were. We're going to have that next generation of those spacesuits. So he, he and had he just some... completely mispredicted the next generation. Of yeah, well, yeah. Yes, he did. He did. But it was crazy. It I was liked crazy. those a lot. I, I wish they would have taken some design cues from Stanley Kubrick on that. Cause I do think that those are pretty sick. Um, so, so I don't know again, cause you haven't watched a, lot, a bunch of Stanley Kubrick movies, but when you do, there's a lot of things that are in this movie that are Kubrickisms, if you will. And one of those things is a geometric, he does a lot of geometric things. And the other thing is, and this is specific to the spacesuits, they were bright colors, right? right. They weren't, you know, one was red, one was yellow, blue, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And that's that's very famous of his type of movie that he has something that pops as, as, as color-wise. I, I loved that. I loved the, it was dazzling. It was dazzling. It was scintillating. It was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Scintillating is another good watching one. It. Yeah. Uh, so that was that, and they see the spaceport, and yep. now they're seeing it for the second time, and you're like curious about a little more curious about yeah. what's going what on. What is this thing? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're transported into another spaceship, um, yes. which is I don't remember the name of it, but it's I, I don't know that they gave it a name, Jordan. I don't think it was it. It looked like a combination of an ISS and a and a spaceship at the at the same time. Oh, another thing that I thought was awesome was the scene. Uh, so, like the one, the fun fact that people always bring up about Velcro is that it was invented for astronauts. But right. I didn't like. I didn't get that. That is what they meant, or maybe oh, it's sure. not what they meant. But so, like, I just was like, okay, yeah. So they invented Velcro for astronauts. I don't know why they would have specifically needed Velcro. What to tighten their gloves or whatever. No, it's so that they could walk around on the ground and be looking in the ceiling. Yes. And I just thought that was an amazing I've never I'd never seen that before. And I thought that was a cool scene. It, you're talking about when he was like jogging and and and, and, and boxing? No. Which one you're talking about? Oh wait. Um because when he's walking around on the ceiling, cause cause that was where he on on the, like one of the opening scenes when they first when they went to the Jupiter eighteen months ahead, he was circling. He was running in a circle around the. Yeah, the, so that that would have been one example, but it sure. was uh, it was specifically the when the Pan Am lady goes. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah, walks yes, yes. around the yes. barrel of the spaceship yes, to go yes, into yes, the yes. captain's quarters. Yes, I yes I had forgotten about that. I liked that a lot. That was great. Um, but that's cool. I feel like that. I mean, they don't do that in the ISS, right? They just float around. Right. At will, exactly. The exactly. concept of having the Velcro is very cool. Uh, yes, that was awesome. So, so the thing that I found interesting once they got into the Jupiter thing it was, like I said, that that whole jogging sequence was interesting as well. Um, I don't, I'm not sure exactly why he was airboxing, but whatever he was, it's like, okay, these guys are getting exercise, keeping their bodies fresh, their minds fresh, but yet their colleagues were in like the state cryogenic of freeze yeah, hibernation. Yeah. It was, it was such a, 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 an odd dichotomy there, right? You had these people who were being very active and then these people were just still, and they were not going to be, uh, awakened until the time came for them to be awakened when they got to Jupiter. 
Yeah, that that was crazy. And in sci-fi, cryogenically freezing people to keep them still in time is one of the bigger um, like plot things a lot of the time, like to create age gaps right. between generations for traveling through light years and this and that and the other thing. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting. I don't know if that originates with him or if he read that somewhere else and it interested him and he wanted to put it in um, but that was definitely interesting and then let's talk about uh the main character of this chapter yeah. which Think is about hal hal 9000 yes the most advanced ai to have ever yes. been created again a great prediction on his part right the fact that there would be ai somewhere in the future that there would be a computer that would be able to learn on the fly and be able to uh, work through this. If that was a great prediction, because I will tell you, um, after I watched this movie, I started reading a little bit more about it because it, you know, like I said, I hadn't seen it for so long. So, um, and I'm trying to remember who it was, but one of the producers didn't like that aspect. No, it, was, it wasn't one of the producers. It was the, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, the guy who wrote with him, wrote this this script with him, thought it was that was just asinine and there was never going to be, AI was never going to exist. There's no way that computers were going to know more than humans, nor would they be able to adjust to what humans do on the fly. And then, and then after he watched it, he's like, okay, well, it seems like it will fit. And then in the 1980s, when AI started to become actually, you know, like something that people could work on. Yeah. Then he's like, Oh my God, I was totally wrong about that. So I don't think we have fully realized artificial intelligence. We, We, we have things that, can do everything Hal can do. I would say that. So like Hal, right. Hal clearly has emotions. So I don't, I don't know that we have created an AI with emotion yet. Maybe there is somewhere in Silicon Valley and they haven't revealed it to us yet. Um, but I do think that it is like the idea of a computer doing all of the calculations and taking care of all of the actual piloting, that is how the SpaceX uh, ships do everything now. The only difference is there's no human voice attached to a lot of the AIs that we use to do something useful. Uh, That's because of this movie. Right. Uh, And it's just not very functional to even have that. And we do have um, voice assistants and stuff, but those obviously draw more on just the information immediately available on the internet and aren't good at deducing things at all. Uh, And we do have AI that can deduce things using math, maybe not human logic. Um, But I've, I mean, I've sent photos to you of conversations that I've had um, because I'm an engineer. I, I have access to a language processing AI called GPT-3. It's probably the most advanced AI uh, that's available to the public. And it is shockingly human. So we're definitely getting to that point. But I just loved the whole narrative of how where he would be ashamed of a mistake and fear that he would get turned off and he would do Mm -hmm. anything to not be turned off. Um, yes. And yes, that, that little red dot is iconic. The concept. Yes. So I've heard of Hal mainly yeah. because when I, before Amazon Alexis came out, when I was a kid, I saw the movie Iron Man and I was oh, yeah. really obsessed with Jarvis. 
Uh, and so I wanted that and I was impatient for a world where that would exist. Little did I know it would be only in a couple (laughs) years that Amazon would come out with this Alexa. So I spent all this time on my computer writing speech macros to teach my computer to listen and respond to different things I did and control actions within our house, right? Like play music upstairs, downstairs, this, that, and the other thing. And I thought it was so cool and I called it Jarvis and I thought I was a genius. And then (laughs) Amazon came along and blew me out of the water and my speech macros were useless. I spent all that It was still pretty cool. It was was while it lasted. Uh, And I even had it hooked up to like take knowledge from the Siri database because their ports were open for a couple of years and you could use them. Um, But so a lot of people in the community of speech macro writing on Reddit and whatnot would all call theirs Hal. I, like I called mine yep. Jarvis, but they like to right. call theirs Hal because they're a little bit older than I was and they were inspired to make theirs because of this movie, even though I was yes. inspired to make mine from Iron Man. And um, yes. and so he is iconic. And I, and I do think that Stanley hit it right on the mark with that because as somebody who's grown up only in a world with AI, uh, you know, to a limited extent, obviously, uh, right. that just felt natural. Like, I feel like for me, I was like, oh yeah, that's 20 years off. I'm sure audiences, even when you saw it for the first time, you're like, wow, wouldn't that be crazy? But I was yes. like, but I, I was like, oh yeah, okay. There's an evil, evil AI. Like that makes sense. You know, I, I like that. That's what we're all fighting to stop, you know? Well, well, that was Terminator, right? And we won't get into that movie right now, but right. that was Terminator. It's like, oh, the, the machines are going to take over. And that was so reminiscent of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I, I want to say that's probably part of the reason why I watched 2001 was because someone, we had seen Terminator and someone said, oh, you should watch 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, because that this is where that kind of takes some of that um, yeah. that logic from. Certainly so, less action packed this yeah, well, is compared yeah, to absolutely. the Terminator, but absolutely. it is interesting. So one of the things that I thought was interesting, and you, you mentioned this, is that Hal had human emotions or had the ability to kind of feel a little bit. And, and I love the way that the astronauts played this in that they didn't have emotion. Like Dave, the, he's, the, he's the main astronaut, the one mm-hmm. you, you see all the time. He was very, you know, just very right in how he did things, very mm-hmm. calculating, very, very militaristic, if you will, in terms of his, his, uh, his speech pattern. And how he said things, and and he was not very verbose, and he was a very intelligent guy, but he was not. He didn't waste a word. And yeah. So it was fun. That that was must have been a cl- important contrast to them because I'm thinking now that you say that of that specific conversation before, right before Hal says that there's an error that they need to go out and fix. Right. He, Dave's just sitting there doing his regular mission stuff, and Hal's concerned. He's like. Hey, don't you think it's uh, kind of mysterious why these people are in hibernation? Like, don't you think that's weird? Yeah, which is yeah. a very human thing to ask. But David, Absolutely. but David's like, I don't think that's weird. I haven't thought oh. about it at all. Why are you asking that? Like, yep. because he, you're right. He's designed to not be human, but through his training and how through his training is designed to be human, which I think is a fun commentary on the military and Absolutely. on AI. Like. We have different. We have one. We have one massive career where people are taught to not be human, and one career where we 
focus on turning things that aren't human into humans. Yes, absolutely. That's kind of unique, huh? I hadn't even thought about that, Dad, but you're right. Both, Both of them, but specifically Dave, is very detached. Right, you know? And, and that was the thing that it, that struck me watching it this time. Again, the first time, not so much. But when I was watching it this time, I'm like, wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really notice kind of neat, that. Yeah, that is, thing, that so. is cool. Uh, and then they, he had um, space pods, which was kind of carried on into Star Wars as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, we have like stages of a rocket where the final stage that lands somewhere is smaller than... Um, what launches from the earth but the concept right. of like ejector pods is not something that i really think we've seen no, you know I, yet yeah, implemented into space travel and i think maybe that's the biggest gap between any space movie and what our real life space journeys look like is the sophistication that they put into all spacecraft where we were aiming for the most aerodynamic thing that costs as little as possible, aka billions of dollars, to launch off <laughs> from the Earth, right? Yes. So, so for us, the ideal rocket is this just completely flat, no portholes or weird outer door gaps and jams and things like they have on the outside of this spaceship on the outside of the millennium falcon uh on the outside of the enterprise like there's all these like weird jagged places where it looks like you could open it up and things are crinkled and indented for no reason um and we are far less sophisticated than that. The ISS maybe comes close, but even that we try to simplify as much as possible. Whereas yep. artists go out of the way to make things more complex and futuristic. And, Absolutely. And that's a huge miss. Like the Pan Am space plane looks more like the rockets that we launched than anything yes. else they showed in this, right? Just a Absolutely. simple fuselage with some jets at the end of it. So. Right. Right. Uh, but those little space circular space pods were really cute. And I thought it was cool. The whole um, gripping scene where you had to fly away from Hal and the ship to go retrieve the dead astronaut. Right. Um, and then use his wit to kind of break in when Hal was planning to trap him out. So, um, so the thing that struck me about the, those, those scenes was that, um, you know, like when astronauts are out today, they clip, on to things right yeah. they, they have a an umbilical cord for lack of a better word absolutely that they're clipping onto and so it's fun it was funny that you know obviously it wouldn't have worked for his plot if he had an uh, uh, if he had one but it was funny that that was something that was well known that as you went into space as you're you, doing things you, you would were, have to you, yeah you didn't have want to have float that away. Kind of thing right you an eva so. yeah i thought the whole all of the scenes with the guy who died i can't remember his name but uh, we're interesting for that specific reason where like, yeah, he turned the space pot around and then just kind of yeeted him out. And I was like, bro, aren't you worried about missing, missing the mark and just dying straight off? Like yeah. all of the futuristic stuff and you don't want to do that. And then the other yep. thing that I thought was neat was when he had him take out the battery and replace it, he used a gravity trick where so the concept of gravity is not just that we're attracted to earth 
but that every single object is attracted to each other. And the yes. smaller the object is, the more attraction it has to high mass objects. So he takes right. out the second battery and just places it against the spaceship yeah. and it doesn't float away because it's so small and the spaceship is so massive that it's gravitationally pulled into it, which I thought was just, that is how it would happen. And I thought that was really neat because I don't think cool. about that. And I didn't catch that again. You know, I'm not thinking of the first time, but the, well, as I was watching this, I, my first thought was, wait a second, why isn't that floating away? And then, like you said, I'm like, it, it wouldn't float away based on, on like you said, there's th that object's going to have gravitational pull because right. it's sitting on a, on a larger object. Smart move by, by Kubrick. And I, I would love to understand if he intended it the way that you're saying it, or if it just, he just couldn't figure out a, a different way to do it. I'm sure that he did. Uh, I'm sure that he meant it that way. Otherwise, he could have had the guy just clip it to his belt or something. Right, right. And I, I, I don't know. I doubt he did the math to see if the mass and object of that size versus the relative mass of the actual spaceship were a big enough disparity that it would have had a strong enough gravitational force to stick to it, you know? Because right. to have a strong force of gravity, one object... Uh, must be much bigger than the other, or if they're two massive objects, they'll collide into each other and create a big mess. Um, but it, it feasibly, the the logic is there and it checks out. But you see all the time in the videos from the ISS that there's no gravitational force for like a banana or a water squirt right. or this, that, and the yep. other thing, and they have to like bolt down the toilets and stuff. So yep. it, I don't know that the that the force of gravity would have been that strong or if the spaceship was that massive that it would have made that much of an impact. Because obviously the, the mass of the Earth is billions of times more than the mass of a single human being. So it makes sense that we would stick firmly to the ground. But Right, right. But still, uh, very cool scene. I liked that a lot. And yeah. then the, the, the idea that the mission would go on after everybody's dead and Hal is disconnected yeah. and this guy's alone was the most depressing thought that I'd ever had in my entire life. So I thought about that. In my, I was like, why did this guy just not turn back around at this point? Just go back to 18 months, you know, see, and this is where your computer theory makes sense where they made, they programmed everything about this guy in his training to yeah. make him so that the only thing he cared about was the mission. Right. He showed no emotion when he got that happy birthday message from his parents. Exactly. They completely dehumanized him in whatever space camp that he went to. And that's <laughs> apparent in every single decision that he makes. So that's obviously Absolutely. important to the plot. And I just did, I was too close to it to notice it at that time. But very interesting. It, it was, it was crazy how. But, uh, on that piece. but yeah, I don't know if he was allowed to turn around or not. They never really clarify that, but we do know that he goes on. Well, the mission control stuff, what did they say? It was like seven months to get a, 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 uh, a, a message to and from, or, or maybe it was seven days. Mm, I don't remember. The number I think seven it was, was in there. I think it was seven days or seven hours. Sure. I, it wasn't no, maybe seven it could have been seven months. hours. Seven hours is probably right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but uh, it was like, you're not going to get a, a, a quick response for right. a lot of stuff. Like, I, hey, should I turn around? Well, let's talk about it. I think it's only seven hours. But even, I mean, yes, obviously that would make a, a conversation difficult. Um, but 
also, I don't even know. It probably would be longer than that. I'm trying to think. Maybe, I don't know. I, I so wonder the, how long it takes what the lag is to communicate with the Mars rover. Because Jupiter is that, pretty far. Right. Yeah, that, that would be something to look up and check out. I'd be interested to hear that. So the thing, I, again, I read a little bit more about this um, after. Uh, the guy who played the mission control person in the movie actually worked for NASA and did mission control stuff, um, uh, not necessarily for space uh, things, but did mission control things for other projects. So he, uh, Kubrick went and found a guy who this is what his job was. And he, that's, he got to, got him to play that so that it would be as, as realistic as possible. That's funny. That's a good little tidbit. Um, it takes 20 minutes to get a message to Mars. So Jupiter's a lot further than that. And the technology would have been be slower hours, in that probably. day, so seven hours. Yeah. Um, but interesting, nonetheless, that he went on. And then... The third act. The third act begins, and we see another spaceport, and then what I can only describe as what felt how I would imagine an acid trip to be like. So, so I've got another piece of trivia acid, for you on this. But that was insane. <laughs> So a little piece of trivia for, for you. So this movie, uh, for a, a couple of different reasons, did not do well in theaters initially. Mm-hmm. Part of it was the length, right? Yes. There's um, an intermission. And, yeah, there's a, yeah, which was classic that it's, that it's in there. Uh, and, and the other piece of it was people were confused, like, what the hell is going on in this movie, right? And you can, you can understand both of those things. But what got people and got this to make money in the theater and make money overall was exactly what you're talking about. So apparently, the folks who liked to drop acid went and saw this movie and would drop acid and come in for that act so that they could be on acid while that was happening. <laughs> so that, that that and so that's what popularized this movie in the theater. And then got people who weren't dropping acid to go, "Oh, it's a cool movie. Let's go see it." So that I thought was, you know, again, ha- having read that after watching this, I was like, "Holy crap!" I could. See exactly what you're talking about, where it absolutely, in my mind, looked like what acid would, would be like, an acid trip would be like. And funny enough, the people who drop acid thought that as well. That's that's great. So I did not look that up, but that is immediately how I felt all throughout that entire oh sequence. Yes. And it took me a little bit to understand what was happening in that room. Um and then after that, I did have to look up the meaning of the third act, which again, I don't, I don't like that when I have to look up the meaning <laughs> of a movie. I think it right. indicates that the writing is weak because if, if certain people can get it and certain people can't, then it's an intelligence test, not a piece of art. I'm, so, so, I don't so did you hear what Coop- impressive. Did you hear what Kubrick said about that? Because people asked him, what does your movie mean? Did you hear what? Yeah, I read his meaning. And that's what I'm saying. Like the fact that he said he didn't want to explain it, but then he did explain it. Yes. Yep. Right. But that's what I'm saying is like, that's a weakness on his part that if he felt he didn't want to explain it, but that it had a meaning. But none of us or a large fraction or at least me couldn't get it. No. Then then that's it's bad execution. Yeah. Either it has to have no meaning at all, and he just goes, I don't fucking care. Like, it means whatever you want it to mean, which is what they right. say a lot of the times. Well, which it's... is what he initially said, really. Right. But then he clearly had a vision for what it meant, and then he shared it, right. which was that 
this astronaut that is kind of pulled in by this spaceport and is captured by these gods who are, or aliens, whatever you want to call them, of a different kind of dimension. So we can't really conceptualize them as humans. So that was the right. sequence of lights. And he travels yes. through space time and yep. ages pretty rapidly as one would as they travel through space time at tremendous speed. Uh, and then gets placed into this room which is decorated uh, like how the aliens imagine a fancy earth home would be. Yep. And he's in there and it's a human zoo. And then after he dies, they take his life essence and send him back to earth. Yes. As though yes. he were like Jesus or something. Right. So it's a commentary on religion and where it came yep. from and, yep. uh, that what it would look like to interact with alien life. Could we even conceptualize it? Would we be their slaves? Like all that stuff. Those are great thoughts and great questions, but I didn't get it from watching the movie. Yeah. I got it from reading yeah. Kubrick's interpretation of what he wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I watched the third act again, and I had to do the same thing, Jordan, because when I first watched it, there was, I mean, it's like, okay, what the hell was that? But second, this time I watched it again, reading, that's that's what I had read. It's like his first thing, like you said, was, yeah, I'm not. you guys can interpret yourself. And then when he gave his answer, I was like, I did not get that. In fact, what I, in my mind, it was, it was more a commentary on, um, you know, how do people see themselves, you know, uh, and, you know, what, what is our inner being and, you know, just a commentary around that, um, and I still was stri really struggling to find to formulate what I had just watched. Yeah, I, I so I chose no meaning. I just chose, okay, so he traveled through a dimension, and now he's living out the rest of his days in this room. As an embryo? And then he dies. And yeah. I don't. I didn't get the embryo at all. That was by far the most confusing part. But everything right. from, like... The whole time he was going through the colorful multidimensional sequence, I didn't think of those things as living creatures. I just no, thought of them no. as like he's seeing the sights of space that are so yes. beyond our reach that Absolutely. he can't even conceptualize it. Exactly. Yep. And he then he's like on this planet. I'm like, okay, so he went through the atmosphere of Mars and now is going to land on its surface or whatever. That's what I thought. And then all of a sudden, not Mars, sorry, Jupiter. And it's going to land on its surface. And then all of a sudden he's in that room and I was really confused. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, so like there was somebody out there, a human or something had already found their way out there. And he's the one who's been planting it, or it is a God or something that left all these spaceports so that he could get back and forth or that someone could find him or whatever. Right. And and that's kind of what my thought process was as well. When, when I started thinking about it was, you know, all of the, the spaceports or the Stargates were so that whomever these aliens or gods were, they could come back in and check on their, on their, I guess the people. The use markers, the term, yeah. Yeah, but use the term human zoo. And so they could go back and check on how the humans were, were progressing. progressing throughout time. You know, do they, you know, on, you know, on earth, they moved from apes to being this and then oh, they made it to the moon. Mm -hmm. And now there's the one that's floating in space around Jupiter. Now, can they get out this far? And if they do, we're going to take them into a different spot. So exactly. I, in my head, I was like, oh, this is their ability to go back in and check. And kind of lead them. 
Yeah, I, I honestly, Jordan, when you said, you know, let's watch this movie and, and talk about it, I was like, okay, that's fine. And I, I remember it being a bizarre movie, but when I got done watching, I'm like, okay, I can talk about the first part and I can talk about the second part, but if Jordan's got any type of like uh, great commentary on the third one, my my addition is going to be very little because <laughs> I, I'm like, no. I... But I was struggling with it. I thought it was just, I thought it was a good movie until I saw that. And then I was like, okay, now I want to talk about this. And then yeah, I yeah. did what, again, I hate doing this. I hate, hate, I hate, hate Googling movie meanings. It, it's, it's so, it nothing irks me so much. Um, but other than popcorn shrimp, popcorn shrimp bothers me too. Not the food, but the word. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was it was weird. What his explanation of it was good. I just wish it would have come across just by yeah. watching it by myself. Um it reminds me a lot. I feel like Kurt Vonnegut must have taken some inspiration from this in his and when he wrote <laughs> Slaughterhouse Five, because he talks about the aliens uh of Tralfamador or Talframador, however it's pronounced. Uh they take a man from earth and they put him in a human zoo and right. he, and they see time differently in kind of the way that you're talking about where maybe it's not to help guide humans to where they want them to go, but maybe these spaceports not, they don't exist just in space, but they exist in time. Right. So that right. one yeah. that's there when the apes were there, isn't necessarily still sitting there waiting for a human to happen exactly. upon it. Right. Exactly. But they right. have the ability not only to transport to that space, but to that specific space in that specific time. So yeah, even today in 2001, they could at a moment's notice get in, you know, clearly they don't have a spaceship because they're just big balls of light apparently. But if they were, as I imagined them, real al real human humanoid aliens with a spaceship, they could instantly go to that place and see the apes right. in a moment, you know, yes. thousands of years back, because they do live in the fourth dimension and they're not constrained by not being able to return to the past. And that's right. that's kind of how Slaughterhouse is structured too. The Tralfamadorians have this book of like inscriptions and they can look at it and enter a moment you know um so i just thought that was that's also how i kind of conceptualized it and then afterward sure. when i read the cooper explanation that those balls of light were actually the aliens or living gods or whatever that put the spaceports wherever they were by some magical means then i was just like okay well that wasn't that was not clear no, it definitely was not. I totally agree. And the well, fetus thing was interesting. Just the commentary, if yep. like if that's supposed to be a special human that is born, that was placed but, there by a foreign life force. It, 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 yeah, I definitely could see it being that way. Um, but just overall, the movie, you can see why people were inspired by it. You know, if you're going to be a filmmaker and and you want to. Um, understand kind of a way to be creative in your filmmaking whether or not you actually liked the movie or not doesn't matter he just used so many different uh like, like groundbreaking groundbreaking techniques mm -hmm. um and the way he does things i mean think about it he he had like a steady cam but did steady cam didn't exist right so he was he was moving things around from from a camera perspective 
that made it feel like there was a steady cam, which is what we have now and, and have had for 25 years. But that didn't exist. They had big tracks that they had to do stuff. It was amazing some of those things he did. So you can see how if you were a filmmaker, how this would be absolutely an inspiration. Like, wow, he used a, some crazy shots, some crazy techniques. Um, you can see how if you're totally into existentialism, how this movie could could hit you, right? Yeah. Especially the third act. Mm -hmm. You could see how if you were like a space nerd that that the middle act was definitely like you know kind of tickling your fancy there mm -hmm. yeah it, it does it has a lot of different niche audiences all kind of rolled into one and it is inspirational and it, i think a lot of it does also just tie into the dazzling imagery all throughout i really think yes. it does where where you're just struck by and it, and i think that is kind of kubrick's biggest Plus, right, if I think about The Shining, um, when people analyze that, as many do, they always are talking about, oh, look at the symmetrical shots, look at this and that. And yes, this. he does that in here, too. Right, and, and so that seems to be something that not many people focus on when they're filmmaking right. that he does, right. that we seem to be fascinated by as humans, yep. specific patterns and... Yep. And the way that things are shown. So, so he, I, he does that, I thought it was good. He does that in all of his movies. Full Metal Jacket even has a scene that if you watch that, it's very symmetrical. And you wouldn't, since you have caught that and know that about Kubrick, you'll notice it a lot more in, in, in that in that movie mm -hmm. as well, which which is an odd movie to think that he does that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. I, and I do like existentialism, and I also like, seeing people's predictions about the future from the past. And so this was good on all accounts. And I, I think that the first act was justified and I didn't think that it was too long. Um, I thought it made sense. And the whole point is while you're in it, it's confusing to you. But as soon as the yes. second act hits, you immediately get the payoff. You don't have to wait to yes. the end of the movie to see why he did that. You're like, Oh, I get it. Progression of man. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I like overall, that. I, overall, I would definitely recommend people to watch the movie if they haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. uh, just understanding that y you may walk away confused and you need to be okay with that. And I'm not. So I didn't <laughs> like that. Uh, and I didn't like it with Donnie Darko either. <laughs> and uh, I think just the last thing is the clear three act thing is not something that happens a lot in films so every story right. has to have a beginning a middle and an end yep. and but generally people try their hardest to blend those together so that the the story feels continuous and he right. specifically went out of his way to have discrete different parts here's the beginning here's the middle here's the end but they're all the same story linked by these right. spaceports I thought that that was well well executed because they did have a tie a combining link amongst all of them, but yep. the stark contrast was really neat. And I wish that more directors would write stories that kind of take you from one place to another uh, in a more transformative way, like like he did. I think that not not many have executed on that idea. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. I think it's definitely a unique way of, of making a movie. And um, 
you know, uh, entertaining folks. It's just like you said, not not very many folks uh, do that nowadays. Right. Any other parting thoughts? I thought this was a good discussion. It it went a little long, but that's okay. No, I I don't have anything else to add to it. I I am glad that we did it for sure. All right. Well, thanks for watching that movie with me, Dad. And if you guys haven't checked out 2001 A Space Odyssey, this must have been really confusing for you. So, Jordan, I do have one last question, not tied to that movie, but kind of tied to the movie. Did you know there's a sequel? No, I did not. Is it called 2002 A Space Odyssey? It is not. It's called 2010. Um, And it was made in 1984. So... I don't know if it's on any streaming things, and I have not seen it. By Stanley Kubrick? Uh, no, he did not direct it. He did not direct it. I might so have to stay away 2010, from that. I think it's called The Year We Make Contact. I think that's the sub subtitle. I'm not going to watch it. Um, I'm just saying, it's out there. So it's, you know, I don't like not, when they hijack series from directors even the whole jj abrams giving away the star wars thing even though my favorite one from the new trilogy is the ryan johnson one i think that overall the series would have been stronger if they would have stuck with one director i don't like when they when they switch it around when it's meant to be continuous it's different with like james bond and stuff right yeah it's it's a different or like switching at the end of a trilogy that makes sense to me but doing it in the middle uh it's the vision. Well, it, isn't it definitely there. is not a trilogy. There, that is, in, unless there's another one out there that, that went straight to video. Um, MVP, it, most valuable primate, is a trilogy. However, so clearly, it's better than Kubrick's work. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, there is a, there is a sequel out there. Like I said, I have not seen it. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Dad. All right, we'll be super quick on the quick facts. I had to Google one this week because I, I had one that I learned organically during the week, but I forgot to write sure. it down, which is sure. a cardinal sin. So I pulled up obscure facts and I found that proper chef's hats are supposed to have 100 pleats to represent the 100 <laughs> ways to cook an egg. You're, you're joking. Seriously, that's... That's what this website says. Whether or not that's wow. true at all, I have no idea because I just Googled obscure facts. Wow, that is funny. But I if that is no true, idea. it's interesting. It is. And, and I didn't know there's a hundred ways to cook to cook an egg. That that I'm gonna have to Google that. Well, Google I don't know if, if there are a hundred ways to cook an egg, but I think that's the like a phrase. There's a hundred ways to cook an egg. Sure. You know, but there's only one. That is funny. All right, so I will have a very quick, quick fact as well. So if you look at your hand and you touch your thumb to your pinky. Oh, I know this one. There is a muscle uh, that is in your arm Mm -hmm. for some of us. And other folks don't have that muscle that makes that happen. So you can do it, but there's a specific muscle for that purpose. And some people do not have that muscle. That was something that was interesting to me. I I do have that one, uh, or I knew that I have that muscle, and I knew that fact uh, only because when I was younger, I learned a method to determine what how you want your steak done by oh, yes. using your touching the different fingers to your thumb and yes. pressing your lower thumb muscle, and yes. like you can feel the firmness based off of what finger you're using. But then some yes. people 
didn't have the arm muscle. Right. So I learned that. That was that was interesting to me. And this week in chess, uh, I mentioned last week that a young boy from India, Pragnananda, was doing really well in the first major Meltwater Chess Champions Tour uh, tournament. And he was leading even Magnus Carlsen um, by a couple points. Well, that concluded right. last weekend. And... and? He did not win, but neither did Magnus. There was oh, wow. a weird situation uh, where the all of the people who had points lost their matches, and all the people who didn't have points won. And so, all uh, the, one of the underdogs ended up winning. Not an under his his Elo ranking is very good, but it just he wasn't predicted to win the tournament, and he ended up winning it all. Jan Christoph Duda, who. Uh, will be in the candidates tournament, I believe. Uh, so he won his first major of the year, and I think he had a pretty tough year last year uh, in tournament placements. I don't think he won a lot. So uh, big, big props to him. Nice. And uh, that's that's about all. Awesome. Uh, so for me this week, just a real quick uh, update on our and the NBA playoffs. The Suns did win their first round series. Yes, Thank that's God. awesome. Wow, it was a bit very of a struggle. tenuous, very tenuous. It, it was. They were missing Booker for part of it. Uh, he came back and he's slightly rusty, but the point god had a Chris perfect Ball. game. Broke history, and, and he did. And they won the series four two, and they move on to the second round to play the Dallas Mavericks. I have a signed Chris Paul jersey hanging on my wall now because I'm so enamored by him. I framed it and everything. He's he's a stud, and I my and as we are both hoping that they can uh, finish off what they started last year. Let the man get his ring, for God's sake! I'm I'm very <laughs> nervous about these Golden State Warriors. I don't like it. I'm not. Well, a, we got to beat the Mavs first, and then we'll and then we'll take care of the Warriors. I think that we can beat the Mavs. It'll be tough, but I think we can beat them. But yes, good good NBA playoffs update and the Celtics versus the Bucks. You know, my heart wants the Bucks, but my head wants the Celtics because I want to see the Suns Celtics here in Boston <laughs> so that I can watch them in person. But that would be a blast. That's a long way down the line. A lot of cards have to fall into place. But my predicted bracket of who won each, you know, thing so far is right. You're perfect. Yeah. And I think Perfect. I was pretty close on most of all of the game length predictions as well, like sure. whether it's settled in six. Uh, but yeah, a couple, couple more weeks of that to follow. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thanks for potting with me, Dad. That ran long, yeah. um, but I had a lot of fun watching that movie and discussing it with you, and I look forward to tackling something new next week. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jordy. We'll talk to you soon. Take us out, Ted.